Well, I am really excited. My name is Chad Norris, and I'm the pastor here at Bridgeway Church. And we are starting a new series today called Five Balloons. And we just came off of a series recently that was called Healing the Orphan Spirit that blessed me. I think it's probably the only series I've ever been a part of in my life where I felt God teaching me while I was teaching. You know the best way to grow yourself is to lead someone else? What if, instead of answering the question of how do I know if I'm saved, by just saying, well, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, which is true. What if we said, well, who are you investing in? Who are you mentoring? Who are you discipling? A lot of times people don't grow because they're not leading anything. You see, Adam was put in the garden to have dominion and to tend to the garden. And somehow we've created a consumer. I'm about to start preaching. It's coming, I mean, it's coming 100 miles an hour. I am so excited. I, I can just feel it. This is gonna be fun. It's not hot in here. It gets hot in the 11 o'clock service. I feel like I'm in Haiti. It's still cool in here, praise God. I'm about to go off. It, can I preach? Is that okay? All right. We've created a consumer mentality in America where you come and you sit in church and you pay tithes every once in a while and you just get another hit and you try to make it another week. That's called conviction. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples. The best way to grow your own character, competency, capacity, lead something. Put your hand to something. Not because it's church strategy, because you're getting back into the DNA of Eden. Do you know that man worked in Eden? He did not soak in Eden. Somehow in the last 50 years, it's become popular. You're close to God if you just soak all the time. Some of us don't need to soak. We need to work. We need to lead something. Put our hands to something. How many of you, when you're leading a Bible study, leading someone else, teaching, sharing, serving, whatever it is, you find yourself growing the more you're giving yourself away? Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. To wait upon the Lord in Hebrew is to be active. It's not to be passive. In the American idea of wait, we just sit here and wait on God to come to me. And we wonder why we don't have many breakthroughs. Because in the kingdom narrative of Eden, you get breakthroughs by waiting on him as a waiter waits on you at a restaurant. A waiter is active. What do you need from me? How can I serve you? How can I help you? You need some more sweet tea? I do, ma'am. Thank you. Can I get you some more food? Absolutely, you can. But what if you sat in the back of the kitchen, in the back of the restaurant, and you just waited there? Because I'm a waiter. Your restaurant would go out of business. You get strength by actually waiting upon the Lord. In Hebrew, Peter was the only one that waited upon Jesus when he got out of the boat. Nobody's listening. Y'all are listening. You get strength when you go. You get fat in the kingdom when you sit. Even sitting in the kingdom is active. He gets 72 people together and he goes, here's what I want you to do. Pair up in twos and go lay on the ground and just think about the Holy Spirit for 20 days. Nope. He said, go into each town, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely you have received, freely give. If I'm not giving, I'm not growing. If I'm not giving financially, I'm not prospering. It's only in the kingdom where he flips everything upside down. Sometimes the way to get out of debt is you give, you don't save. That's for another series. So that was free. Uh, something really embarrassing happened to me this week as we start this epic series called Five Balloons. Five balloons that are myths that I want to pop over the next five weeks. Something really embarrassing happened this week and it went like this. Have you had that moment yet as a parent 
where you swore on your grandmother's grave you would never say something to your own child the way your parents said it to you. And then when it comes out of your mouth, you have to go in the restroom and look into the mirror and go, I just did that. Raise your hand, your hands, you guilty sinners. Get them up there. It happened this past week. My parents were great parents. They were awesome. But there was one thing that I swore on oath before God I would never do. I swore that when one of my children asked me a question why, I would never in a million years say, I remember as a kid fantasizing one day when my dad said that of if I were God, what I would do to parents who responded that way. You ever seen Castaway with Tom Hanks? I would send parents to an island for about a week with no food to figure things out every time they answered a question because I said so. It's such an arrogant position. You, you assume omniscience. Hey, Dad, why do we have to go there tomorrow? Because I said so. Because I'm the creator of the world. I'm the ruler of the universe. And if you question me again, I'll probably just foam in the mouth and snap and faint. And then you'll have to go into inner healing counseling because you'll be destroyed because I'm acting weird. Just don't ask me again because I'm so stressed out right now. You ask me a question, just do it. I just, just do what I say. If you do what I say, then everything goes well. And you're there and you're six years old and you're like, man, this guy's stressed out. This happens on a weekly basis at my house with my two youngest children on what they put on their bodies. Dressing my seven-year-old son is unbelievable. <laughs> How many of you have a child like that or you remember your child was like that? There's three t-shirts to put on. They're all sports t-shirts. You're going to school, there's some mesh shorts because you have to be comfortable at age seven. You can't dress like this, you have to be comfortable. Jack, just put on those mesh shorts and that Georgia football t-shirt. I don't want to wear that, that t-shirt. I want to wear the one that's gray, not red. It's cute at first. You tell stories of Jack's so cute, he cares about what he wears. <laughs> that goes on for about a year. It is like hostage negotiation getting this kid dressed in the morning. All right, Wendy, take all the t-shirts, just get them out of the house. Give him one t-shirt. He'll go look for it. Happened this morning. My wife says, Ruthie, I want you to put on flats. She says, I don't want to wear flats. And as I'm preparing for this sermon or whatever this is, I say, I say, here we go. It happened again this morning and I knew I was going to preach when I'm about to preach. Ruthie walks in. Why do I have to wear these flats? Because your mommy and daddy will have nervous breakdowns if you don't put them on. That's not what I said. Because I said so. They know what they're doing. When they're real young, I am convinced. I think God does it to keep you humble. That I'm convinced they work in tandem. Wake them up at 4 a.m. Scream, throw up across the room, projectile 34 feet across the room. Sometimes parenting can stretch you to a place where you're just like, because I said so. But when you're a kid and your parents say that, it's like, really? 
Can you not just give me a simple explanation? I am convinced that most of us in this room, forget out there, have our own theologies because someone just said so and said, believe it. (laughs) Why do you believe what you believe? Well, I don't know. Uncle Jack preached it. Therefore, it has to be true. Because one time I questioned him and he looked at me like I was stupid and he just said, because I said so. Why in the Baptist church growing up did my mom make me wear wool socks? I'm serious. And I'm like, Mom, I have hives, I'm itching, and you want me to go enjoy God. Why do I have, I ask these, why do I have to wear these? Because in my mind at five years old, I I knew, I, I even said this, Jesus wore sandals, you're making me wear wool socks. WWJD? It ain't this. A.W. Tozer says, whatever you think about when you think about God, I'll tell you everything about your life. The definition of theology is thinking about God correctly. What if you're passionate about a God that you think incorrectly about? I can't wait to pop that thing in a minute. Today is a balloon we're going to pop that discusses the idea of the born-again message versus the gospel of the kingdom message. I wish I had a long time to preach. I can tell you over the past 15 years that there have been different places that I've gone to preach that I do not get asked back to come preach. And I had a group one time of about 75 people in a conference get up and walk out while I was preaching this. And for me personally, that just is so fun for me. (laughs) Because the closer you get to Jesus... I'm not talking about images of Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, you should be constantly offending the religious spirit around you at all times. I'm gonna make this so simple. You have to hire a Clemson fan to help you misunderstand it. You ready? If I never offend anyone, and by the way, I'm not talking about by being obnoxious. I'm talking about with my theology. Okay, so let's keep it in perspective. I'm not talking about just being a, a weirdo. If I don't offend people with my theology, I don't line up with Jesus. When he taught, they wanted to kill him. Let that sink in. Be very skeptical of having nothing but great friends. Man. Jesus didn't come to offend. He came to give truth, and truth typically offends. If truth's not offending, then I'm not speaking truth. Hosea 4, 6, my people die from lack of knowledge. There's a cosmic battle between lies and truth all the time. And Jesus spoke truth into the midst of lies. And he says in John 8, hang on, wait a minute. Uh, Your father is Satan in Hebrew. That went over really well. Your father is Satan and he's the father of lies. Everything comes out of his mouth is a lie. But I, but I, but I, but I, but I am the way, the truth Jesus stepped into darkness, into a lie, and spoke truth. You ever ask yourself this question? What is, don't Google this, don't get on your phones right now. What's the first thing that ever came out of his mouth in his public ministry? I ask this question all the time, people never know. What's the first thing he ever said? Because the first thing he said and the last thing he said were very important. The last thing he praises for unity, 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 unity. 
We had Bridgeway staff retreat this weekend. That's typically what I pray for 95% of the time. It's just unity on our team, unity in this church. What's the first thing he said? Might want to listen to the first thing he said. Rogue rabbi from Nazareth. Uh, His coming out party in John 6 is pretty spectacular. He begins his ministry. His mom knows who he is. They've had some conversations. Simon Peter is so clueless. Oh, these 12 are, it's the biggest setup of their lives. It was an honor for them to follow a rabbi. They just didn't know the rabbi was going to be like this. <laughs> People say all the time it was such a burden for Simon Peter to follow Jesus. No, it wasn't. That's incorrect. His parents would have been so proud of him. It was an enormous deal to follow a rabbi. They just didn't know that this rabbi is a little bit different, and that's an understatement. What's the first thing he says out of his mouth? Matthew four seventeen. You might want to write this down, memorize it, eat it, get it down into your bone marrow because in this city, in this region, this will offend, in my opinion, 95% of churches, pastors, counselors. We in the South have been just believing stuff for so long because I said so. And how dare you question the man of God. You know, we ought to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures and say, hang on, Hoss, just because you're loud doesn't mean you're right. So you create systems of control. If anyone questions you, you just escort them out of the church. Luther came up against this. The good old boy system has not just been around since the civil rights movement. It's been around since Genesis 3. Lies, 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 lies. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. What's the word repent mean? Well, it means to turn or burn or stop chewing tobacco or God will kill you, boy. Nope. It actually is metanoia in the Greek, and it means change the way you think. The first thing out of his mouth, he says this, change the way you think. Second part, for the kingdom of heaven is where? Near. I don't care if you're Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Charismatic, Pentecostal, or community church. If we'll put the arrow on the screen pointing up, This is what most of us have grown up listening to almost all of our lives. It's a message saying this. Well, God wants you to become born again so you can go to heaven when you die. How many of you have grown up in the church and you've heard at least 300 sermons on born again in your life? The rest of you are just too tired to raise your hands. What if I told you that Jesus Christ never publicly preached the message of born again? Okay. Now, I talked this over my wife this morning, and she was like, babe, I love you. Please be crystal clear. (laughs) Because she was like, wait a minute, where are you going with this? All right, I want to get my theology from the Bible and not from anyone else. Most people get their theology from other places, and they go... And they, they try to enforce their own hermeneutic on the Bible. And they make the Bible say whatever he or she wants it to say. I went to seminary with people like this. So we typically get our theology, thinking about God, from our experience. And then we take our experience and impose it on the Bible and try to make the Bible fit into our own paradigm. And wonder why we're frustrated most of our lives. <laughs> it takes a grown woman, a grown man, to go to the Bible, get your theology, and then to let that trump your own experience. Most people see their lack and say that's the way God is. When you go to the scriptures, and let me tell you, boy, did I. 15 years ago, I read the gospel so much, 
I mean, this became a part of my life. And I asked the question, how come Jesus never preached the message of born again? He only talks about it one time in the Gospels, and that's at 3 o'clock in the morning with one other man. One man. It's the ultimate Nick at night experience. That was awful. Hello? Nicodemus, what are you doing here? It's three in the morning. You know why he was there at three in the morning? He scared to death of his brothers. He didn't go in there in boldness. He went in there going, and what's he say? I know God has to be with you because you could not be doing all these signs and wonders unless God were with you. Can you just talk to me about life? What does Jesus say? Yes. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Time out. Satan realized 2,000 years ago he couldn't defeat the church, so he just joined it. He got behind pulpits, and he turned the most famous passage of 17 verses in the New Testament, and he turned it into the arrow going up to where somehow it got preached this. If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven when you die. And Satan's so crafty that he even took truth but made that the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of just believe, wait, and go to heaven when you die. And even though it is a true statement that you go to heaven when you die, if we could show the other arrow, Jesus only preached one message. He preached that message. And you can go 100 lifetimes and never hear this message. Change the way you think for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you say, what's the point? The point is this. Jesus died for you to get reconnected to Eden not to wait to shoot off into heaven when you die. When you get reconnected to Eden, you find eternal life. When you find eternal life, you start walking in healings. You start walking in power. You start walking in friendship. You want to know why 95% of the church doesn't have deep friendship with God? Because we've been listening to a message of a bunch of people saying, I told you so. I just told you so. Believe in Jesus when you die, you go to heaven and you go your entire life and you're born again and you never actually enter into the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of people interpret the kingdom of God as going to heaven when you die. We miss the whole point. Jesus brought the kingdom of God and laid it right here around us. You can be all around Eden and eat Taco Bell the rest of your life. Let's go to Matthew 6. Look at it this way and I'll try my best to explain this. They see him praying, and his, his guy said, what? teach us how to pray. I mean, you're turning a, some fish into a bunch of fish. You walk on water, you heal people. Teach us how to pray. The Lord says, okay. This is to his insiders, by the way. Okay. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That second word there took them. They're still trying to get over it. Because to, the, to these disciples, he's not father. He's a vicious God that is unapproachable. He thundered on the mountain in Exodus and even said, consecrate your own animals. And Jesus says, our father, they're going, wait a minute. Did you just say that as tender as I think you said it? And then he would later say, Abba. And Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel are going, who's he talking about, Abba? And then he goes, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm tender. I'm approachable now. I'm going to remove your sins. I'm going to provide a way for you to be reconnected with the father. They're still getting over it. People got healed through the hands of Peter, not because of an anointing, but because he got connected to the father. Jesus came to connect Peter back to the father. Even in three years of public ministry, the the disciples had a hard time getting connected to the Father. 
And when the Holy Spirit came, you know what the Holy Spirit's message was? I'm the governor now on earth. I'm going to reconnect you to the Father. I'm going to get you guys in Eden. And when you get in Eden, all heaven's going to explode. The message of the gospel of the kingdom is about getting into Eden. It's not waiting to go to heaven when you die. We even come up with songs like this. Dun, 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 dun. When this life is over, I'll fly away. You don't need to be flying anywhere. You need to be marching to Eden. Oh, just hang on, sweet Jesus, so the angels one day can rub my feet. You're supposed to be trampling on scorpions while you're here. The Father doesn't want you in heaven right now. He wants you here because he got heaven into you, and he's trying to get you to get other people into heaven, into Eden. You're trying to go to heaven. The Father's trying to get heaven into you. Well, that, thank you. I think it is too, whoever said that. Somebody said, that's good. I think so too. When you pray for someone and breakthrough happens, it's not because you're charismatic. It's just an extension of Eden. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Can we just say that loud together? Come. Everybody say the word come. Come. Jesus came to bring a kingdom here, and the kingdom is established. Now, I double dog dare you to read Dallas Willard's book, Dallas who passed away three years ago, is a legend. Um, his uh, book called The Divine Conspiracy, Rediscovering Your Hidden Life in God. He was a professor of philosophy at Southern Cal. No one ever thought of Dallas as like some charismatic, walking around, acting weird. He's a professor of philosophy and began to ask a question 20 years ago. Wait a minute. How come we're preaching something that Jesus never preached? There is nothing more scary in my life than to be passionate about a God that I'm not like. I don't want to love a God that I think opposite of. The most powerful form of living in intercession is thinking like him before I speak or pray. <laughs> you have to think like him. The Father doesn't think like us. He's not up there just saying, just give them strength until they make it, till they cross the finish line. The finish line was at the cross. He's saying, give them a, just bless them with wisdom. But I'm going to send my angels, revelation angels. I'm going to open their eyes to the word to let them experience what's already theirs. Satan is trying to convince us that the kingdom of God is where I'm going to. The kingdom of God was brought here and I get to experience deep friendship with God now and take as many people along with me as I can. You can be so close to God, you get to heaven and be anticlimactic. For people who think born again is going there when you die, it's like, oh, it's the finish line. You're going to get there and be like, oh, it hasn't even begun yet. Because the friendship I have with the Father now will continue forever. I should be homesick not to avoid an evil world. I should be homesick because I'm already eaten now. Has he ever drawn so close to you, you feel his winds on you, you feel his voice? Has he ever woken you up at four o'clock in the morning and you hear him singing over you? And you're not saying, oh, get me out of this world. You're just saying, man, your kingdom's already manifesting in my life. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a major difference. The message of born again, the way it's been preached in the South is receive Jesus Christ into my heart and I go to heaven when I die. Evangelism explosion was written around one question. When you die, do you know where you will go? I'm not saying it's an evil question. I'm, not, I'm just saying, why did Jesus never preach that way? Why did he never teach that way? Why did he never lead that way? Here's why. Because the message of the South is an arrow going up and the message of Jesus was always an arrow coming down. John 17, three sums the whole New Testament up right here. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you. The arrow going up presents eternal life as a place I go when I die. For example, 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You'll go to heaven when you die. It's not what it means. It's never meant that. He was never talking about it. (laughs) I mean, at some point, you gotta give the enemy a little bit of credit. He's done a fantastic job. Every once in a while, you'll see a remnant of people that go, wait a minute, that's not true. And you know how you get set free? By believing truth. Truth doesn't set people free. Believing truth sets people free. Do you know what the most dangerous thing in the world is? A misconception. Misconception has started world wars. A misconception is the reason that men flew planes into the Twin Towers. They honest to God believed they were honoring their God. A misconception is the beginning of all evil. Did God really say, well, what's powerful? A truth, God's truth. And God's truth gets down into me and I start absorbing it. And once I find truth, I walk in freedom on accident more than I ever did on purpose. You know, it's amazing. A lot of times I ask the question, how many people really desire to just honor God with your life and just be good friends with him? And everybody's hands will come up. And I'll say, how many people in here are holy? And maybe two out of 100 raise their hands. So my biggest desire in life is to please him, yet we all feel dirty and condemned. Yeah. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How miserable of existence can it be to please the one that you're going to meet one day, but somehow you've convinced yourself, on the earth you're dirty, but when you get to heaven, you'll be clean. No, girlfriend, you're clean now, right now. You're as clean right now as Jesus in the Father's eyes. Watch this, though. If I don't believe it, it doesn't matter. And the religious spirit comes out. And even though you see healings manifest everywhere you go, you get talked about. You gotta be careful with that guy. We should judge those that don't walk in power the way they judge us. If you judge a tree by its fruit, oh, well, you should never judge. Hang on. All right, I planted potatoes and no potatoes are coming up. I should judge that seed and say, something's wrong with the seed. Well, you don't ever want to judge. No, if I'm a farmer and my livelihood depends upon farming, I'm going to say to the apple tree after seven years, you got some explaining to do. You're not producing apples. This isn't trigonometry. The people who walk in power seem to get so judged over the years. What if it was the opposite way? How in the world can Jesus Christ live in you and you not walk in power? It's not normal. You know why? Because when you believe in the error that goes up, you just sit there and you wait on him to come back and you read books about the rapture all the time. But when you are focused on the arrow coming down, every day is an opportunity to extend Eden in someone's life. There's two questions we have to ask. Am I growing closer to Eden every day? Am I helping other people get there? That is discipleship. Bridgeway's called to get deep into Eden and then help a lot of other people grow in Eden. I'm not even saying that the arrow going up is a, is a lie. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not the greater truth. I do get to go to heaven when I die. I am gonna spend forever with him. But why am I so obsessed about going to heaven when I die when perhaps, if you read Revelation, perhaps he's gonna reset the whole thing up one day anyway. Why don't I just think the way Father thinks and and think of it this way. While I'm here, there's one goal for my life, to extend that kingdom here. The goal of my life ought to be to establish in my own home heaven's culture, not to pray, oh God, I can't wait to be with you. He's going, I am with you. 
I said, I never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Quit singing those songs about flying away in the great by and by. Start singing the songs like heaven come now. Heaven's here now. What if in the spirit you knew that the demonic realm, when you were in Eden, you're so bright, you're so terrifying, the enemy leaves you alone. What if when you walk into a room, it was so bright because Eden is just all in you. Do you know that you can be born again and not walk in power, but you cannot be in the kingdom and not walk in power? Because Paul says the kingdom's not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Where's power come from? Being grafted into the vine. Where's the vine? The vine grows in Eden. The vine's not in the desert. <laughs> you get in Eden. You get in Eden. All of a sudden, the Father starts opening your eyes. And you realize there's some balloons he wants to pop in your life. And you say something like this. You say, Father, I have believed in you my entire life. And I know I'm coming to heaven when I die. But I want you to turn the arrow around. I want to explore Eden for a while. Bridgeway's called to explore Eden. You know what Eden's synonymous with? Deep friendship with the Father. Intimacy. Intimacy. Into me see. Where you talk with God during the middle of a football game and he talks to you. Where God gives you dreams about your children. About insignificant things where you don't work for a paycheck because your father pays all your bills to where your spouse is not your problem. Your spouse is your sibling in the spirit and the father is growing your spouse in you in, through his own tutelage, through his own gardening to where you don't have worries of this world like most people have. When you're not in Eden, you long for heaven. When you're in Eden, you're very secure in the father's arms. Somebody said one time that people aren't worth much because they're too heavenly minded. I'm saying we're not worth much to the world because we're not enough Eden minded. The more you become reminded of Eden of, wait a minute, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day and they built deep friendship. But the only way a person gets here is you have to literally change the way you think. And I want to go slow before I pop this balloon with a passion. I think changing the way you think is the hardest thing we ever do in our lifetime. Think about these guys in the early days. Jesus shows up and says, our father. And they're thinking, the only stories we've ever heard of God are the ones where you can't get close to him. He'll kill you. <laughs> and he says, our father. Typically, most people interpret the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of the Revelation. What if you spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin? Your marriage changes, your friendship changes. Because Adam is not uh, begging God to heal him of a disease. Adam's not begging God for provision. He's just walking with God in the cool of the day and enjoying deep friendship and deep fellowship. You know where prophecy comes from? It comes from Eden. It doesn't come from another man's anointing. Do you know why the other man of God that can lay hands on you can pray that? Because he's in Eden. We lean so much on the anointing of someone else. Just get into Eden for yourself. Just get to the table for yourself. Just get into John 15, 1 through 5 for yourself. Instead of having a running around from conference to conference, it's possible to just remain in the vine and there's so much fruit on your life you smell like a potpourri factory. How many people, you just, you honestly, you want to build deep friendship with them? The arrow has to change. There has to be a shift in the arrow. 
And I believe that Bridgeway is called to introduce Christians to Jesus. Bridgeway is called to introduce Christians to Eden. And you'll never hear me say, okay, the point of this whole thing, you believe right now so you go to heaven when you die. I'm saying, do you want to follow him? Because only twice does he say, believe in me. About 80 times he says, follow me. If you follow Jesus, he always leads you into Eden. You can believe in Jesus and be a demon. I need to be careful. I don't know if... Well, do you believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm, yep. Well, you're good, brother. I, I think we get to heaven. I think there's been a lot of these evangelism crusades over the years whew, that just seem to be a cop-out with the way invitations are given. You know, doesn't growing in the image of Jesus matter? Doesn't it matter that I grow in my character, my competency, my capacity? Doesn't it matter that I look like Jesus? Well, I said yes to Jesus, 1945. I live more like the devil than anybody, but hey, I'm, I'm in the club. The club is Eden. The way a lot of gospel presentations are given, a demon could get saved. Uh, do you believe in Jesus died on the cross? Absolutely. Okay. All right, you're good. When you die, everything's going to be fine. I, I don't want to die when I get old. I died a few years ago, and when I died, he resurrected me in Eden. That's why he's trying to get to the end of me so he can fill me up with the aroma of how the thing was supposed to be in the first place. How do you get into Eden? Can someone else pray you into there? Oh, man. You get to Eden by metanoia, first thing out of the king's mouth. Metanoia, change the way you think. For, the, for Eden is all around you. If you break the word metanoia up, meta is intimacy, connected with the heart. Noia is a mind transformation. Hosea 4, 6, my people die from lack of knowledge. That word knowledge has more to do with intimacy than cranial thinking. It starts with the heart, then it goes to the mind. That's why in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, set your hearts on things above, then your mind. The Father wants your heart because the lover's in Eden. And if the Father can get your heart, he will always get your mind. But if he can get your mind, he very rarely gets your heart. This is why the church in the West is more connected to the Father with our minds than our hearts. That is so good what just came out of my mouth. Because Eden is for lovers. Eden is for lovers. And some people are like, what are you talking about, Nicholas Sparks? I mean, what's going on here? Eden's for lovers. You know exactly what I mean. Until he becomes the lover of my heart, then this thing is too mechanical. I'm trying to figure God out. You gotta figure God out. He don't figure him out. He didn't even come from anywhere. He always has been. You can't figure him out, but you know what you can do? You can fall in love with him. You fall in love with him, what other people considering suffering, you'll consider pleasure. Because in Eden, it's a love story. In Eden, you don't get offended with other people. You can be born again, have great doctrine of people that have gone before you and never love another person the rest of your life. Why did Father put Eve in front of Adam? Most people say because he was lonely, needed a companion. What if the Father put Eve in front of Adam because he needed an object to love because love is giving myself away. And when I receive love, the natural reaction is not to just cuddle with it, it's to give myself away. In Eden, you give yourself away. You don't judge, you don't condemn, you just love. The reason more Christians don't act like Christians is because we're believing the born-again message and we're not walking in the gospel of the kingdom. So I declare on September 11th, but it said 2015. That would have been a first, the wrong year, 2016, that for Bridgeway at least, 
that we are um, committed to the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached. And we're refusing to just believe some message that, okay, believe this, go to heaven when you die. We believe that heaven is brought inside of us. Heaven's brought here and deep friendship and connection with God's our goal. So do I believe in born again message? Absolutely, as long as it's born again message connected to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is here and now. Open up our eyes. It's right here. We're not going to the kingdom. The kingdom came here. And at Calvary, it was an invitation to go back to Eden. So I say, Eden, here we come. I'll close with this before we have uh, some time for prayer. The things you're most effective in in life are not the things that someone else taught you about their life or someone else's story. You just worked it out yourself. Josh and Laura have a powerful marriage ministry because Satan tried to rip their marriage apart. And for me, the Orphan Spirit series and the Five Balloon series, I didn't Google search some cool series to give. This is just things as the Father has shown me. Satan realized he couldn't defeat this thing because it was growing so fast. Jerusalem overtook Rome in 258 years. It's impossible. So Satan said, we got to go to plan B. And the kingdom of darkness just joined the church and tweaked theology just a little bit. But a little bit over 2,000 years has turned into a train wreck. And there's spiritual orphans all over the church in the West. And God's called Bridgeway to play our role and to go rescue them and say, Eden is available now. A lot of people come to me and they say, can you teach me how to pray for the sick? And they think I'm charismatic and they think I'm hyper spiritual and then they realize I'm not because all I talk about is Eden healing exists in Eden prophecy exists in Eden when you get connected with deep friendship with God the gifts of the spirit in the book of Corinthians is not awkward it's not odd praying in tongues is not odd praying in tongues is odd when all you do is believe in the born again message you go to heaven when you die but once you start operating in the kingdom of God it's the language of heaven Paul says I pray in tongues more than you all oh he must just be weird I think it's weird not to honestly I think it's weird to be against healing. I think it's weird to be against these five balloons that I'm about to present. But it's only weird for someone in Eden. And the closer you get more connected to Eden, you'll recognize people who are outside of Eden. And instead of judging people, say, hey, I have a message for you. And it's the message Jesus preached. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom is all around you. Would you like to begin now? Instead of saying you want to go to heaven when you die, let's take him to Eden now. Let's stand up. I'm going to speak a blessing over us. I'm going to ask our prayer servants to come forward today. We love the opportunity to pray for you. You know, perhaps this is what you want to say when you walk up here. You just want to cry and say, can you please pray for me? You don't even know how to articulate why you need prayer. Well, come on. The journey to Eden begins today. And maybe you're halfway there. Well, keep walking. Keep going. As Phil Knight said years ago, just do it. Just walk. Don't make an excuse on why you're not there. In the name of Jesus Christ, may God forever show you the way his arrow points. And may you forfeit any thought that does not align with God's thoughts on this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come for prayer now. We'd love to pray for you.